Aloha, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of A Dose of Positivity, where I have the privilege to interview passionate change makers, thought leaders, social and environmental innovators, and wellness professionals. And our special guest today is just coming in from Sweden and has incredible insights and stories to share with all of us. But before I introduce Alexa and give Alexis and give her a, a, the, the intro that she deserves, um, I wanted to remind everybody who's just tuning in right now that this is a live discussion and we do accept chats and conversations. But if you're listening to the replays, either on our YouTube channel or our podcast channel, we welcome all your comments and feedback there as well. And I get back to every single person. So thank you so much for continuing to uh, tune into our station and fill yourself up with positivity. So, uh, further uh, message right here. Um, we're getting a lot more people joining our, our Facebook group, which is called Holistic Health Nature Therapy, How to Live Like the Future Matters, where you can also find the replays. You can post your events and anything positive that you're doing uh, in the world on our Facebook group. And we welcome all new uh, people to the group. And if you wish to receive um, positive updates from us and beautiful photography, uh, nature photography, make sure you give us your email address and we will be sure to give you all of the updates, uh, what's coming, including Alexis is actually, she's going to be writing, uh, she's writing an incredible children's book and you will be uh, updated when all kinds of things happen. So um, Alexa, uh, before I get going, I, I, Alexis, I wanted to read one short passage in my book, uh, Living Like the Future Matters, which will spark the conversation. And I know you've read the book, but this will refresh you. And for everybody on the call, this is from Mom, this book, Living Like the Future Matters, The Evolution of a Soil to Soul Entrepreneur. And this week's topic that Alexis is going to be sharing um, uh, is on indigenous travel and how it shapes our lives, our heritage, our traditions, our culture, and how travel versus tourism is a force for good and change and positivity in the world. And this is what happened to me and my husband, Kevin, when we were 33 and 34 years old and traveled to Thailand for the first time. And I'm not gonna read the whole thing, just to the meat of the story, okay? So we were in Anchorage the night before and Alexis is from Alaska, so we're gonna get into that too. So I'm starting here in Alaska in your home state, honey. Um, so we, we actually uh, were in Sheep Mountain the night before, and the next day we flew to Thailand for eight weeks, and we were unaware that I might be pregnant. Kevin and I were overdue for a vacation. Were we travelers or were we tourists? And ready to unwind and to warm up. Within a week, I felt sick, especially in the morning. It soon became clear that I was not suffering from chronic food poisoning. Instead, a new addition to our family was growing inside of me. Along with morning sickness, other unexpected circumstances came while traveling 
in an undeveloped country? It disturbed me that a country could be classified as a first, second, or third world. I questioned what most development, more development meant. It warmed my heart to see how Thai culture engaged its elders and its youth in everyday life. They embedded intergenerational respect and values in the culture. It delighted me to see how food and culture were woven into their lifestyle. Meals were a celebration and we were often invited to join in. There was not a fast food chain or a box store to be found. The Thai people where we met lived with less stuff and had more developed souls than most people we knew. People's happiness was gauged by how much they enjoyed life. It may have looked like poverty, but it felt so rich somehow. There was an attitude of gratitude amongst the people, even in a country undergoing a military coup at the time we were there. This undeveloped country had a lot going for it, despite poverty, crime, sadness, and poor sanitation. But hey, I had seen all that in Harlem, New York City. It seems like whoever was making these determinations about development were only gauging the worth through a lens of materialism. I had experienced cultural differences, how they can be the bridge for the whole of humanity when we respect our differences and we share our wealth. My world views reshaped as my senses, senses awakened to a whole new world. I learned without diversity and balance, humans like a weed are an invasive species. Wow, travel. Alexis Bunchin, I am so excited of all people in the whole world to discuss this debate about travel and tourism. And I wanna introduce you to this amazing woman. Um, right now, she serves as the Jumpscale Senior Advisor and Co-Director of the Bioneers Indigenous Program. And if you're not familiar with Bioneers, you can look in the chat. We will have the link there and directly to what Alexis does there with the Indigenous uh, Department there. She has served as the program director. She has served, I'm sorry, as pro, a program director, media marketing consultant, and applied research for over 20 years from Alaska to Auckland, New Zealand. Alexis' area of experts include indigenous led economic development, organizational decolonization, and cross cultural communication. As an implied research consultant, Alexa uses mixed method techniques, including ethnographs, interviews, surveys, experiments, focus groups, statistical and data analysis to develop innovative solutions to organizational and economic challenges that cannot be solved through a quarantine quantitative approach alone. And that's really important. And we're gonna to touch upon that because that is going to help you see 
how valuable the work and the research this woman is doing to help all of us bridge these gaps, okay? Alexa has received numerous recognitions and awards from the US National Science Foundation and the Ford Foundation, MacArthur Foundation, blah, blah, the list goes on. And we will again have that in um, our show notes, okay? She's also the a published uh, an incredible body of work and a book called uh, in 2000. I'm so sorry, I'm having a stumble day today. And I'm going to say something right now, because usually I don't stumble on intros. But this woman is so amazing. I was trying to narrow this down. It's almost impossible. But my granddaughter just traveled here and left yesterday. So travel and, and Alexis just traveled from Sweden today. So I'm a little granddaughter lagged and she's a little jet lagged and so there you have it but i am here and you are here and that it's is all good and it's are you all good hey, uh, normal yeah you guys i love you so much yes i'm grandmother lagged um in addition to published widely in an academics and mainstream media outlets let's alexis 2015 book and alaska native tour guide won the alaska library association award for its original and 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 depth the follow-up anthology indigenous tourism movement was published by the university of toronto press in 2018 and she's currently completing her first children's books her children's book Alexa lives in California with her beautiful family and all her four-legged friends. And I would just want to say, give you the hugest warm welcome. Alexis has been here to my home on the big island, and I can hardly wait till you come back, honey. So um, everybody just in your warm way, give her a big open-hearted uh, welcome. And Alexis, the way I love if you could start off is give us some history um, of your indigenous um, heritage and what your Yupik name means, and it, say it out loud so we can all hear the beautiful tone, honey, and welcome. Well, I will try my best, but I'm here with Angliak. Her <laughs> Yupik name means angel. Hi, Jimmy. She is the living embodiment of uh, somebody who I stayed with in Anchorage for years, who I always called my adopted Yupik grandma, but through uh, DNA, I found out that we were actually related, but I don't have a, a Yupik name because of colonization, but I'm Alexis and I live in Monterey, California, and I'm zooming in from here. And my background is Alaska Native, Unangan and Yupik, and also Swedish American on two lines. I'm, I would say like I'm a nosebleed a half away from being half Swedish. And I just came home from Sweden this morning at 2 a.m. So I'll do my best to be articulate today. And tell us what you, what you were doing in Sweden. Ah, yes. So um, yes, I co-direct the Indigeneity program Pioneers and in Sweden, they had a very big conference called the Stockholm 50 plus 50 years ago, they had a conference to address environmental issues. And this conference is the 50 year anniversary of it. And I joined with a lot of indigenous leaders from the mother earth delegation organized through the fountain and we spoke at a number of different events and at that conference and tried to let everybody there know and everybody 
who was connected to the UN know that if they want to address global environmental problems, that they need to center indigenous voices first because we're there. And then secondarily, I was, I do, I do have a, an indigenous tourism company. I've been in tourism, as you mentioned, for over 20 years. And I was scoping out a one-of-a-kind, never been done before, Sami immersion cultural tour. 200 plus kilometers north of the Arctic Circle um, that I'm, if Americans will do it, we'll make it happen Thanksgiving week. And what, what will that tour be? What, what's the purpose of the tour? The purpose of the tour is um, for people to understand what it's like to live way north of the Arctic Circle, experience the Northern Lights and also Sami culture and um and it's something i was thinking about you can't even do this in alaska at least in sweden there's places you can stay i can stay there in alaska but um yeah the purpose purpose is cross-cultural immersion and and many people don't know about the sami community they're one of europe's only indigenous communities and they have been facing issues that we have in the US that I guess a lot of people probably don't hear about if they're not, not immersed in it. Um, issues around mining, um, segregation, rampant discrimination. I was really surprised when I was up there meeting with people because um, I met a, one person showed me some pictures. He said that because of social Darwinism, the thing where they, measure people's brains and decide that you're inferior. It's just like a fake pseudoscience from the 1900s when anthropology was new. But he had said that because of the pseudoscience that was used to dehumanize Sami and treat them as subhumans, that the Swedish government had decreed that their people had to live in tents, tents way up through the 1950s. And he showed me pictures was grandma living in a tent oh and God. i know uh for my ancestors in alaska i mean they had had their traditional homes maybe up through right before the turn of the 20th century but we're talking like 60 years here where i mean it's very palpable and i think in europe people don't realize how serious the discrimination against indigenous peoples across the north have been so i want to bring people to enjoy their beautiful culture but also to learn about the issues that they're facing especially involved with um, um, the extraction industry and to help be allies to address it wow this is this is huge um i don't know if anybody else is feeling um I don't know, I guess I'm feeling anger right now um, and just almost speechless to think that people even in, in this century have even, have can even could fathomly treat others like this. And these are probably some of the brightest survival instinct people that we have so much to learn from and to have been exiled almost. It was, it does Not almost, for sure, definitely. Oh, wow. And so your goal is to bring people there and to 
heighten people's awareness and expose um, injustices to the indigenous people so that not only can we um, apologize, I'm speaking, you know, for for our, our ways as as who we whoever did this. I mean, Swedish people are usually pretty, I think are pretty intelligent, right? But this this is a huge crime against humanity and, and, and ignorance as far as I can tell. And I'm sure as you're doing this, I mean, you've seen it's not just here in Sweden, but so many other places. And so what I'd like to, to hear from you right now is in, in not, not in so much general terms, but more specific, what you're doing to show the benefits of mindful travel. Um, and when I say that, I mean it in a very, like there's so much, I know what, when I, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going on a little tangent here, but when, when Kevin and I went to Thailand, that story I just read, we saw so much horrific stuff happening to the animals there, specifically the monkeys. And when the coup broke out, they 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 told no, they're traveling. To, this was during the Gulf War too. Nobody could travel, and I thought, well, we might get stuck here for a few years, just like the pandemic. We're shutting us down. We can't. We were really like shut down. And I thought, you know, I, I'm I'm opening up a monkey sanctuary, and I am going to let the whole world know what's happening to these monkeys. You know, I mean, I, this was my travel, right? I wasn't wasn't there jet skiing, I was here, I was gonna save monkeys. So I would like to you to, to talk about the benefits of, of travel. And um, that's just my little story, right? But what you see um, could happen through mindful travel, not just for these people, but all indigenous people and life kind. Yeah, thanks for the question. Well, um, there's a lot of people uh, in regular life. And then if you wanna get academic about it, that criticize mindful travel and especially travel to indigenous communities. They say that uh, the tourism industry is something that's going to make indigenous communities fall apart through development. And that's really a paternalistic view that, oh, we bring in Western money and people from the West, so-called West, and it's going to tear apart, you know, destroy something that was pristine. That's actually built out of a lot of stereotypes about quote unquote the noble noble sta savage and that people want to live in their particular way where they are and they don't. I mean, just like I want to make money so I can pay for this one's college, those people want to make money as well. So, but there are ways in indigenous people in the tourism industry globally are the most marginalized most oppressed most exploited possible so through my business waka i'm trying to make a way for them to control who comes when they come and to fix the prices and so that all the money stays local circulating within communities because what happens is if you're lucky enough to visit an indigenous community usually it's like kind of a canned experience it's not really like authentically hanging out with people. And, and then the people that are the middle persons that get you there, they take up to 50, 75% of the cost of the tour and they take it out of country, out of place. It can't circulate locally. So to kind of, to get back to your question, I think that mindful travel to indigenous communities is really beautiful. And I've just been lucky enough because I've been working in this industry for over 20 years 
and consulting for a lot of tribal communities in tourism and in other endeavors where every time I go somewhere, I meet a local, we hang out, we have dinner together. I go have tea with the grandma, go on a walk with the auntie or learn about the um, local lifestyle from and the plants and yeah. traditional environmental knowledge from locals and I just always wish that other people could have that experience as well and when I visited you on the big island I had also happened to have a few other friends on the big island and we kind of avoided the local tourist traps and when I visited my other friends and it was very close to spring solstice we had um, harvested and prepared tea leaves for the solstice ceremony we sat down and eaten with friends we'd learned about the plants we hit mm -hmm. all the local sites and to me that was a much more rich yeah. experience of travel than just going somewhere and a tourist sitting in a resort and then uh, yeah and then the last morning before we left Hawaii we uh, we went to one, the, one of the places you suggested and further down the road from where you told us to go, there was a little bay where you could go swimming and it was a tourist resort. We just pretended we were locals. I mean, not locals. We, pre we pretended we paid the money at the resort and sat out on the lawn chairs. And, it, and I mean, she met some other kids she liked, but everybody was just kind of like going up to this like, bar on a beach and right. swimming around and everyone was disconnected and they were talking they were like people were sitting around me comparing like what's better the bahamas or hawaii it was like yeah. nobody had ever left their mindset from where they are at home and the whole purpose of traveling is to immerse yourself in the local mindset and like you just said um to learn about the issues going along locally because one of the best benefits of travel um, for indigenous peoples, besides, you know, sharing their cultures is that sharing the issues that are going on globally, look at this one, <laughs> so that, so that other people can get activated and pressure our lawmaking bodies to address the right. major issues around, um, the discrimination and discrimination. Exactly. And, and when, when you have monocrops, you have sick fields and when you have monocultures of people, you have homogenized society, which is depressing and irresponsible and destructive. And that's really the crimes um, that we're seeing. I mean, you don't even have to be an indigenous um, to feel all of that. You could be the color of your skin or your religion, being a woman, but indigenous people in particular have so much to teach us about being humanitarians and about stewards of the earth and their voices have been so like you know you got black knife matters but i used to always say all lives matter but i got bashed for that after all you know you can't clump it all together but in a way yeah it is all lives do matter and and especially learning from these um these these, these diverse cultures around the world so whether we don't become homogenized we don't become this monoculture there's that how boring i mean we don't even have to 
have robots, humans are will be turn are turning into them. You know, like you say, the, the next trip is it the Bahamas or did you go to the uh, luau last night? Oh, please! Artificial <laughs> yeah. ecosystems that have been, yeah, you know, just and even reading the history books um, um, are hard hard to trust. But if we travel and we go and we see. We see these places. Sorry, that's my phone. I turned it off and it came back on. So um, I'm just going to let that ring and we'll edit this part out because I really thought my phone was off. So just <laughs> nice give me a minute and then TJ, you will edit this out. Sorry, everybody. I learned uh, north of the Arctic Circle uh, just a couple months ago this week, actually. Kevin, can you come take my phone? Um, okay, so sorry, we're back, you guys. Sorry about that. Sorry for that little interruption. But yeah, go ahead and go where you were going with that, Alexis. What I learned north of the Arctic Circle, <laughs> she was going to touch the computer today, or not today, earlier this week, is that there's a lot of things that aren't written in the history books. I mean, first of all, as Americans, we don't learn about the Sami of Norway, Sweden. Russia and Finland and it's suppressed for a reason it's not any bit surprising the same thing that Americans we don't learn about Native Americans even though we have over 500 tribes here and just going to be in these communities and visit these communities you come to learn about that history that you missed and what's really going along and for me it's like also even if I'm not let's say I was in the Arctic Circle in Sweden, and I'm not Sami at all, and my ancestors actually oppressed them. That's true. I talked to them about that. Right. Okay. Bye. Okay. Go. No. Go away. <laughs> Trying to her up. Give me a minute. But the point is, if you go visit these places, talk to people, you hear the histories that you've missed. And what I came to learn just this past week in, in uh, Sápmi, which means Sámi territory, is how much these huge mines, copper mines, natural resources that are contributing to global climate change and also to make way for the mines, they had to engage in genocide of those peoples and the oppression, which I just mentioned. It's just the same as what we have going on in the U.S. And I'll bet you, if we have United States listeners here, that they have no idea what's going on with mines in Alaska, in the Southwest, everywhere that's like killing our environment, contributing to the sixth biggest extinction ever. We're, we're um, killing ourselves as a species. The earth will live on, but humans won't if we don't continue in this way. But we need to listen to the indigenous communities that are in these places and how best to forward that work than to have one-on-one -on -one FaceTime. Right. Oh, can I tell them? Oh, she said the biggest extinction was before the dinosaurs and it wiped out 90% of the creatures. That's correct. That's why I said this is the sixth extinction. The sixth one we're in now. But this is the only one that humans have caused, sweetie. Wow. The other ones were caused by other reasons. But right now, this is the Anthropocene. 
anthro meaning humans. It's very um we're seeing in the world we created and we're killing it. Yeah, you know, I mean it's so great your daughter is here and that she's aware of this and hearing this and we don't want her or any other children to be disempowered or fearful of what's happening rather than to learn from it and to come together and it's not you know freedom lies on the other side of fear and and to understand that we have the power to do something about this and that brings us back to um, the difference between being a savvy traveler versus a tourist. And one of the things that you mentioned, Alexis, earlier that I really love, and hopefully your daughter's hearing this, and I know you and your husband are both PhDs in anthropology, um, it, um, is education is so important. And travel um, in, in used to educate people, like even what they do for, in, for Israel, uh, the birthright, up to 26, they, they bring kids over there, 100% paid to go, but it's a cultural experience. It's to learn about Judaism, not just Judaism, all religions and what religion has done to the greater uh, bad, if you might say, of humanity and trying to look at um, ways to bridge the gaps. Um, they do all kinds of things with the Palestinians and the Israeli youth. Um, and when we when we look at travel for those reasons, and you see your daughter, you know, in, in everything that you're doing and where you're taking her and opening her eyes, it's a kind of like the responsibility of our um, of our of our of the older generations to open our our, our children. Do, do we bring them jet skiing or do we bring them to a, a, a cultural site where there's a elder indigenous person teaching your daughter and teaching our sons and all the children how to be stewards of the land. And that to me really is like travel, tourism, travel, tourism. Not that you can't lie on the beach and, and sip a coconut, but you don't need to drink it out of a can. Um, and one of the things that before before we cut this conversation short, because I know just the fact that you're here after flying in and flying all night and having jet lag, and you're doing a great job, by the way, um, is, you know, you had mentioned something earlier that I think is so important because most people know that I am an eco entrepreneur coach and um, I teach um entrepreneurs, how to become eco-entrepreneurs, how to be social and environmentally responsible. And when I think about this project that you're doing and how you're doing it, and you were mentioning that you were bringing, um, keeping all the, all the commerce within in that area of, of, for the people, for the indigenous people, instead of the tour leaders getting 50%. One thing that I did notice, you know, being in Alaska and even in, in Hawaii too, is also how do, how do you go about educating the indigenous people so that they don't, they're making money and they don't go and buy alcohol or they don't go and buy these skidoos. Like, what are you seeing uh, happening in those, um, that area of travel to help educate the indigenous people to keep their heritage and cultural um, diversity of uh, thriving rather than money. Good question. Well, um, 
Indigenous tourism is a really interesting niche in the larger tourism industry, which is, I think, top three, four, five in the world. And um, I, I heard a lot of people echo this when I was up in Sapmi this last week, and then working in that industry my whole life for the past 20 plus years. Um, what, what is a constant refrain, no matter where you are in the world, is that it's not like regular tourism in the sense that you hire young people to do your entry-level jobs. And then as visitors come visit them, they see how the visitors affirm their identities. And they're almost kind of jealous, like, oh, it's so amazing that you live here, or you speak your language, or that you have these traditions, or that you know what the plants are, and you know what the medicine is. And so tourism is just not just a money thing when it's the indigenous tourism niche. It's really about getting outside affirmations about how unique and special you are. And, and then that after that, that encourages these young people who work in this industry to do more work in their language, their religions, their traditions. And then they end up becoming future traditional leaders because you have to remember we live in a a uh, late capitalist society, a settler colonial society world, post-capitalist world, where anybody who's different, who doesn't go along with the capitalist status, you know, status quo is really kind of um, punished in a way, or it's, it's downgraded. But if your actual business is affirming your indigenous identity and economy, these people go, they really go on to become leaders. So I feel like tourism really does its part in maintaining this diversity that people have. And, and I, I heard it. And again, I, I was just really kind of surprised. I'm just kind of coming off this trip north of the Arctic Circle in Scandinavia. And there were lots of people I met who aren't tour guides per se, but I just kind of, I'm social. So I just kind of reached out and hung out with people. And you know, there's a lot, there was a lot of fear about speaking out against the, what the Swedish government has done and going back to the traditional religions before Christianity was introduced. And that was even like hundreds of years ago then, but people are doing it when visitors come and they're like, Oh, I love your songs. I love your language. You're, yeah. it, it's the same thing all around the world. It's really beneficial that way. Yeah, it sounds like the Newberg trials need to happen. I mean, there needs to be, um, you know, a reset on that. And, and people, I think it's really important. And, th and that to me is uh, how we can be delegates when we're uh, as travelers yeah. and demand that the Swedish government, you know, they owe an apology to these people and, and back tax money that should have well, gone to helping the People up there are, and I don't know how much I should say, but I've been thinking about these kind of apologies a lot. Mm -hmm. also in California, and we had the Truth and Reconciliation Commission in Canada, also modeled after South Africa. But it's so oppressive that it's almost like people are afraid to speak out that it should happen. Like, I can't even tell you 
how oppressive it is. And we have a truth and reconciliation committee in Canada with, or no, California with California Indians. And there's a lot of debate around that about is this lip service or are we really going to have true reparations? And is this, I'm an op, I'm, I'm like you, I'm an eternal optimist. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if we do these things, they should happen. And that maybe not in our generation, maybe our kids or our grandchildren, grandchildren like I think it will change society and it will ripple through and create a whole different narrative where they have a different mindset than we grew up in but we all have to just take part in it well you know this is this is exactly like we had this sort of this discussion when you were here but you know how travel can help heal a broken world and how how travel can help bring justice and by by you know you're almost creating an, an ecosystem for people to come celebrate this, but also to unbury this history and do do right. And, you know, I have, you know, from speaking with me in the past, I have this trigger about tourism. I mean, I, I yeah. after all those years in Alaska in the tourist and tourist business and seeing what well, we tourists, both work with tourists in Alaska. I know <laughs> for years. And then tourists in, in Hawaii, it's like, ah, get me. But when I see a traveler like um, a Meredith who's coming as an intern, she's traveling to Hawaii to learn how to be an eco entrepreneur, someone traveling because they're writing a book like when Thoreau or, or, or Mark Twain, any of these great authors traveled for inspiration or artists and, and they represented the, the, and they wrote and painted and talked and learned the language uh, of, of the people. So like, I, I just, um, you know, I think travel is really important and even I, and one thing i'd like to address in a little bit of maybe time. maybe we need to retitle it travel i think of it as just like cross-cultural exchange and that's yeah, not really yeah. even the right title for it either but just like humans coming together and understanding our humanity yeah as opposed to like what we're sold as travel is this capitalist nonsense of like spend a lot of money go to a resort if you're in Hawaii, like go to the swim up bar in the pool and stay in your hotel room and watch movies. To me, that's like soul sucking, absolutely <laughs> soul fulfilling. Where I just go places and visit people I know or meet new people and hang out, and it's just like that fills my heart and gives me more energy and makes me feel more positive about the things we can do together in the world. Yeah, and and it's it I. It, COVID, you know, put a, a damper on, on, on so many ways for a tourists, you know, like it, this is an opportune time to bring that word or that, you know, educational travel or cultural travel um, with a, um, not even a tour, a tour guide, but, or, or you know, a steward, uh, of, a cultural steward. Uh, it's such a good time to do that because travel is halting and the price of plane tickets and with the price of fuel going on, um, we're, we're going we're gonna to see some interesting things happening in the tourist or travel industry. So how do you, how do you see that uh, with post and, uh, well, with the price of fuel, how's that going to affect travel? These are the last two things I really wanted to address with you before before we get off our call, but like the price of, of plane fares, is that, do you think that's going to discourage people or if they can travel, they're just going to go to the Bahamas or, or to go to a Hawaii to a luau, or are they going to like 
the marketing that goes into really encouraging people to come to a, if you're going to go someplace on your bucket list, what do you want to do? Jump on a parachute or do you want to make a difference with your time? And the other thing that I really wanted to discuss with you, and it can be almost in the same conversation, is the price of fuel and the cost of health concerns with COVID being an epidemic now and new strains coming up and how um, travel Travel and trade has so affected. I mean, that's what brought viruses and spread disease in the first place. So, how, how do we how do we manage manage these the, the cost of travel, not just the economic cost, but the health concerns with traveling to a vulnerable tribes such as the one you just came from. It's costly to get there, well, and then and then there's yeah. how do we protect how do we protect these people. I'll answer the second question first. Um, I think it would be a myth to say that nobody's untouched. And during the time of COVID, I watched something go down where all the indigenous native folks I knew were the ones who were the worst hard hit. And mm -hmm. I did a huge COVID uh, relief campaign through Bioneers that is still going on. And I spent hours and hours on the phone calling people up in remote villages, some of them without running water and so on all around the planet. And really travel is not going to bring COVID to those people. They're the most vulnerable. And just living in Monterey, California here, like I knew a lot of people had got it in Salinas and some of the working class bedroom communities, but here on the peninsula where the so-called like wealthy <laughs> people are now it's finally hitting our school it's hitting my daughter's um waldorf school where it's like second third grade there's four or five cases every day i think it's the opposite of the way you 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 described it it's like now finally the people who've been sheltered the whole time are getting it so i don't think travelers are going to bring covid and also you know we have to test to go in and out of these countries so i'm not particularly worried about that and one of the things we have to think about how we frame things. So to go back to the first question, if you think about these remote communities, if you have a, I don't know, a guide or a curator, typically what I do, if I bring people to places, I like to give them a lot of education going in and throughout their visit. I try to teach them first, what's the protocol of the community that you're visiting mm -hmm. so that you don't make any gaffes or expect them to bend to your way of doing things. And so that way they can really be uh, brought in well. And so one thing people usually assume if you're going to remote places or visiting indigenous peoples that don't particularly have much tourism per se is they think like, oh, well, I'm this outsider visiting a place and maybe they don't want me, or maybe it's going to negatively impact the community. That's the wrong way to think about it. It's generally going to positively impact the community and people are going to know how to, like you said, circulate the funds that come in and keep them in the community. So long as that marketing person or whoever they're finding out about the tour is not exploitative, which it has been historically. And, um, the thing people don't realize is that in these very rural off the beaten path places is that 
they get kind of tired of the same 150 people that live in the village. So they're kind of excited to meet new people and yeah. talk story and visit with whoever comes in. And it's really kind of nice because sometimes you'll find you've really got to kind of get off your normal workaday schedule and be ready to have like a five hour conversation with someone that you just meet walking yeah. on the street because they're excited to see visitors come too. So visitors shouldn't be scared that they're disrupting some kind of local lifestyle. Really locals are like excited to kind of change their paradigm and learn from you just as much. So it's, it's really a, a cross-cultural exchange if done right. I, I love, I love that attitude. I really appreciate that. That is um, so true, you know, and it's that exchange of cultural ideas and coming with the, uh, an open agenda where you're receiving that uh, uniqueness that each has to offer and the acceptance of it. And I, I, it's, it's really, it's really, a, that's what I find when I travel. Um, it's, it's the people that I'm attracted to the local people and being able to taste the food. Um, I mean, it might be whale blubber somewhere, you know, and, and it's when in Rome, they say, right. <laughs> and, 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 but if you, if you're, if you're not open to receiving this, um, exchange it's 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 better to just stay home and well let me just say when i went up to this little village way up north of the arctic circle a couple of days ago i was supposed to meet this lady who i had met. well i'm me so i met a friend who had a friend who said stay in their stuga which is a cabin and then he said oh my neighbor uh was the creator uh, the co-founder of the ice hotel so that i met him he was awesome and then he i said i'm going to this other village way up north and then he said oh here let me call my friend and i said well it's like 9 30 at night don't call her he's like oh no problem so he called this other friend in this tiny village even further north and then i met her and she was like oh i'm running late i'm doing a thing so i show up and then there's two people sitting by a fire on a river 150 miles north of the arctic circle and i show up and they're, they're playing accordions like literally i didn't videotape it because that would be rude this is a beautiful accordion music and then i start chatting with them and then um a, another friend of theirs was a, a deacon for the swedish church and then she and i started talking and the whole thing turned into like six hours of me hanging out with her sami friend and like having coffee and visiting and all around and to me, wow. that would be a million times better than secluding myself off in some hotel, not mm -hmm. talking to anyone, keeping to myself, not hanging out with locals. And that, that kind of thing happens anywhere, as long as you're prepared and open, like you just said, to hang out with the locals and make friends. And I know that we'll all see each other again in some other time and place. And, 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 I, and, and it brings it all back to well, where this conversation kind of started and just the benefits of travel in such a way by you um, embracing the culture and, and, and allowing it to get in your skin, not under your skin, then it's kind of like the rights for nature, the rights for this cult, these cultural people to help protect um, what they have accomplished. Like who's to say I wrote a blog this week on, you know, redefining what success and wealth is. 
And I think it's all good time for all of us to like objectively look at what is success going into this latter part of the 21st century or into this 21st century? What does that look like? And how can we be as enthusiastic as Alexis about having conversation by a river with these incredible humans who are so connected to nature, playing a recording accordion by the river and, and, and exchanging stories, culture, humanity. I mean, I, I got goosebumps, I'm there with you. Um, what an honor and a privilege to be able to be a traveler and have an experience like that. And I think um, with the time we have left, what I would love for you to close with is share a little bit about how people can find out more about indigenous travel and keep culture, humanity, and stewardship of the earth as a primary goal for travel. And also your role at the Bioneers, which is so huge and how people can learn more about um, the podcast that you guys started on all of this to excite people to want to come and have an experience like you just did by the river. Uh, well, uh, thank you for queuing me up for a call to action um, with Bioneers. Uh, Kara Romero and I co-direct the Indigeneity program and we have a live conference. We just had one in May, but we do have a partial virtual one and we have tons of media that you can find at bioneers.org forward slash indigeneity. And we don't focus on tourism per se, um, but we do focus on indigenous issues. And it's a good place, actually, if you come to Bioneers, where you can meet indigenous leaders and maybe you'll get invited to come stop by. That's pretty much how I operate. And as far as these um, traveling in this way and in indigenous tourism, it's something that I've, like I said, I've been lucky enough to experience just through my work and consulting and working in indigenous tourism over the years but um i started this business waka to connect people to indigenous tours last year and because every time i ever went anyone anywhere i always kind of googled like how can i meet with locals and it was always very impossible so <laughs> i ended up calling through my local networks because i'm i'm a big networker i know it, i got a friend in every port basically <laughs> So I just call people I know. It's still very difficult to find, but um, hopefully I will be able to make that possible. People can learn a little bit more about it from the inside experience by, I pulled this out when you introduced me, by reading my book about being a native tour guide. Yeah. You mentioned the follow-up book. It's a little bit academic, but this one, Indigenous Tourism Movements, that's my photo. Um, in Botswana, um, that one really unpacks kind of academically how by visiting indigenous peoples around the world, you'll, you're helping with social and environmental movements. It's not negative. That picture that I painted where people say, oh, you're tainting the culture by visiting, you're actually helping by helping to amplify the issues that are going on. So I, I don't want to be um, unhelpful, 
However, uh, I'm not really ready to go live hugely with my business yet because I got lines around the block already with no advertising, but yeah, but eventually at some point I'll be able to scale to help support people all around the world to connect with each other with indigenous hosts and it's a super positive thing and I guess I would end this by saying that you know some people say it's corny but I think that you'll understand me Donna I think that when people meet each other from around the world and sit down and like have a cup of tea together or just sit down and chat wherever they are I honestly believe that that cross-cultural connection is the key to building world peace and to solving our problems, just understanding each other and accepting each other, no matter what background we come from. Sometimes I get criticized by some friends of mine because I have some friends who vote differently than me, but I always just see the humanity in everybody. And as long as we can do that, that's what's going to build world peace at the end of the day. So I kind of have a loftier goal through tourism of world peace. Uh, I love it. And I'm not cutting my hair until there's world peace. So you and I are in this together. I'll, I'll do it with you. All Mine's right. Short. Mine's getting <laughs> really long. It's getting really long. I love it. Uh, I just, that is such a gorgeous way to end this discussion of how traveling around to indigenous um, or just traveling in general with the idea of maintaining culture, heritage and stewardship of the land can bring about world peace. I just love you so much, Alexis Newton. That's I gotcha. And I am so forever, ever grateful and, and for anybody who wants to get in touch with Alexis, her information will be on the YouTube channel, also on our uh, podcast channel and in our Facebook group. And I'm sure you'll be back on uh, uh, one of these days. We'll love to invite you back on as you continue building this incredibly beautiful business and encourage everyone to check out the Indigenous podcast on the Bioneers channel, um, which is provided in the link. We'll also put that in our channels as well. And um, again, for anybody who wants to stay on, um, we're gonna do a little garden tour. Beverly, the pineapples are going huge. But for everybody else who's listening to the replay, we wanna all give a big heart gratitude to Alexis, and we will see you all again next week for another dose of positivity. Big, big love. And aloha and thank you, Alexis, again. Oh, thank you.